do that. So, all right, Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8 today. <laughs> We're not reading the whole passage. But I want to talk today in our Unleashed series about learning to retell our story. Learning to retell our story. I want to look at that through the life of Stephen today. Some years ago, Colin Ray had a hit country song entitled, That's My Story and I'm Sticking to It. I don't know if you recall that or not, but the song was about a good old boy that was caught by his wife doing what he ought not be doing. And so he made up this fanciful story to explain it. And even though the story seemed improbable and his wife was not convinced, his made-up story, that was his only hope of salvation, from her anger and her wrath. And so he sings, well, I ain't got a witness and I can't prove it, but that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Have you ever been that way? Have you ever made up a story that you knew wasn't the whole truth or true at all and you stuck to it? I think most of us can be like the character in that song. We've all got our own stories that we stick to. True or false, our lives are built on the stories that we believe and tell others to explain ourselves. There's something about humans that just makes us love stories. Children just beg for stories. Adults, we constantly swap stories. Almost all of our entertainment industry is about telling stories, whether in the movies or TV, music, plays, the theater, sometimes even sports. And the Bible itself is really just one long story that explains us and our origins and God and Jesus and, and all of life. But as much as we love stories... We don't love all stories, do we? There are some stories we hate. Most of us get pretty upset and angry when someone tells an unflattering story about us. Or we get upset and angry when someone tells a story about us that we know is not true. There are some stories that we just don't want ever told about us. Sometimes the stories about us are true, but we hope nobody ever finds out. In the news business, it's not the false stories that cause so much trouble. It's the true ones. Just ask any president. There's nothing more dangerous than storytelling, especially if the story is true. And so today in our scripture, Stephen was killed for telling a true story. You remember Stephen. We talked about him last week. One of those seven leaders that was selected by the apostles, well, selected by the people to, uh, to, to take care of a ministry that was being neglected, the, the distribution of food to the Grecian widows. Stephen was a gifted speaker. He presented a powerful witness for Christ. He himself was a Greek-speaking Jew, and he preached Christ in their synagogues. Many of the people in those synagogues had moved to Jerusalem to be near the temple. They were deeply loyal to their traditions. 
the leaders of the Greek-speaking synagogues began to argue with Stephen, but they lost their arguments because of the power of Stephen's spirit-led wisdom. And so when the leaders couldn't defeat him with their arguments, they turned to, <coughs> excuse me, they turned to dirty politics, you might call. They spread false rumors that Stephen had blasphemed Moses and had blasphemed God. And so Stephen was arrested and charged with blasphemy against the temple and blasphemy against the law. At his trial, Stephen was given the opportunity to defend himself. And that's basically how Acts chapter 6 ends, that Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin, falsely accused, and he must defend himself. And Acts 6.15 says, All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Which brings us to chapter 7, where Stephen tells the story. And instead of offering a typical defense that would involve denying the false charges, Stephen simply retold the story of Israel from a Christ-centered point of view. God was clearly the center of the story. You can see that in Acts 7, verses 2 and 3, where it says to this, he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. And so Stephen began with God's promises to Abraham, showed how God was faithful to the patriarchs, even though none of them received the fulfillment of all the promises in their lifetime. His story demonstrated that God wasn't located in Jerusalem, where the temple sat. God met Abraham in Mesopotamia. Stephen continued his story all down through the journey to Egypt under Joseph. Here he makes a key point in verse 9 when he says, Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him. And so just like Jesus, Joseph was rejected by his people, but ended up saving them because God was with him. Stephen went on to tell the story of Moses, whom he was accused of blaspheming. He told of Moses' birth and training in Pharaoh's palace. And once again, God couldn't be limited to Jerusalem. He called Moses while in Egypt, appeared to him on Mount Sinai in the burning bush, spoke with him there. And the rejection theme reemerges again because Moses was rejected by the people, Stephen says in verses 23 through 29. You remember when Moses killed the Egyptian that was hitting an Israelite. The next day he goes out to break up a fight between two Israelites, and one of them says, you're not going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian yesterday. Moses thought the people would respond to him, trying to help them, but he has to flee. But, of course, God was faithful to call Moses again to deliver his people. And as with Jesus, the people rejected Moses, God's servant that was sent to save them, and they continued that resistance to all of those leaders that God would send to help them. They got involved in idol worship. 
And finally, God rejected them and sent them into exile. So after demonstrating the history of Israel's rejection of God's servants that were sent to save them, Stephen then went back to the early days of the tabernacle to address the charge of blaspheming the temple. And Stephen reminded the court there that God gave an exact pattern of the tent of meeting. Moses built the tabernacle exactly the way God said to. He built it perfectly. The tabernacle was not a fixed institution like the temple, but it was a moving presence of God with the people. That was all God asked for. God didn't ask for a temple. David asked for that. But David wasn't allowed to build the temple because he had shed too much blood in battle. So his son Solomon built the temple. But it wasn't long before Israel began to think that God was confined to that temple. That was the only place that God dwelt. They thought it was a magical place guaranteeing God was with them regardless of how they lived. So using their own scriptures... Stephen reminded them that God can't be contained in a temple. He wants to live in people's hearts. And God's real temple today is you and I, the church. And that was built by Jesus, not Solomon. The physical temple, it entered the story at a later date. It was never essential. It was just a temporary part of one chapter in God's story. And so finally, as you come near the end of Stephen's sermon, you come to verses 51 through 53 of chapter 7, where Stephen drops the hammer and gets personal. And he says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. Oh. How do you think that was received? Well, obviously not well. But Stephen told them that this story was not just about their ancestors, it was about them. Stephen's listeners were guilty of rebelling against God just like their fathers had. Just like their fathers rejected Joseph and Moses and the prophets, they rejected Jesus, the one that was the fulfillment of God's promises. And Jesus' disciples were not some group of renegade Jews, but rather the church is what Israel was intended to be. And Stephen claimed that his audience, the Supreme Court of Israel, was resisting God. It's amazing all that happened as a result of that one story. The court listened until the story became personal. Then they put their hands over their ears, turned into an enraged mob. They drove Stephen out of town. They stoned him until he died, which was the Old Testament penalty for blasphemy. And Stephen relived Jesus' story through his own death. Jesus was tried before the Sanhedrin, charged with blasphemy, just like Stephen. 
Stephen was accused by false witnesses, so was Jesus. Jesus told his court they would see the Son of Man by the throne of God. Stephen actually saw that sight, described it to the same court. Stephen was killed outside of town like Jesus. Just like Jesus, Stephen prayed, receive my spirit. Just like Jesus, Stephen asked the Lord to forgive his killers. And so now we see that the tension between the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, and the disciples of Jesus had moved from threats, don't ever again speak to the people in this name, to beatings because we've seen them flogged, and now to execution. They had totally rejected Jesus yet again. And this, the killing of Stephen, began a widespread persecution of Christians in the church in Jerusalem and beyond. And the disciples, especially the Greek-speaking ones, were driven from Jerusalem to Samaria and even beyond to Gentile lands. And at Acts 8 verse 1, we're introduced to Saul of Tarsus, who consented to the death of Stephen, who will become the leader of the persecution of Christians but who ultimately will see the light, literally, <laughs> and become a Christian. We know him as the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles. Now, how could one story stir up so much violence? I mean, all Stephen did was tell the story of Israel's history. He didn't say anything they didn't already know. Everything he said could be documented in their scriptures. Many of the Psalms said exactly what Stephen said. Psalm 78, Psalm 106. The prophets said similar things. Stephen quoted the Old Testament all throughout his speech when he called them stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. He was quoting their own scriptures. So what was the problem? <laughs> that was the problem. What he said was true, and it was recorded in their own scriptures. They, they, they couldn't, couldn't dismiss it. They couldn't deny it. I mean, if he had quoted Plato or Aristotle, well, they could have ignored them, but this was their own scripture. And Stephen's story just cut their chest wide open. It exposed a corrupt heart. Nothing makes us more angry than hearing someone say the ugly truth that we try to keep hidden even from ourselves. The Sanhedrin, like many people in Jerusalem, wouldn't accept an honest telling of their story. They, they didn't like to tell of the failures of their fathers. They wouldn't accept that they were just like their fathers. They wouldn't accept that the Jesus they killed was the Messiah and the center of God's story. They had their way of telling their story, and they were sticking to it. And maybe some of us have the same problem. We have our story and we're sticking to it. We have a certain way of seeing ourselves. And just like a good movie producer, we know how to tell our story in a way that makes us come off looking pretty good. Makes us come off looking the way that we want others to see us. We repeat it to ourselves and, and others constantly until we come to believe that story ourselves. And we know our sins, but somehow, conveniently, we leave them out of our story. Stephen's speech reminds us of the importance of using Scripture to tell our own story honestly 
and with self-criticism. But woe to the person who confronts us with the truth about ourselves. And when we hear a sermon that speaks to our own situation, maybe we get angry and think, man, that preacher is singling me out. We've got too much invested in hiding our true story. There are people that are willing to die or even kill to protect their version of their story. We fear all we have to protect ourselves is our well-crafted story. And the more that we selectively revise our story, the more emotional we become when someone confronts us with the truth. And the truth is, our story is like the people of Jerusalem. All of us, at some point, have rejected and ignored God as we went our own sinful way. We've all done that. But becoming a disciple of Jesus... That means letting go of our well-crafted, self-serving story and learning to retell our story in light of the cross of Christ. And that's called repentance. It begins with a confession of our sins. Because, you see, we, we can't really hear the gospel without looking hard at our own story. And until we're willing to see ourselves as we really are, as the old hymn says, just as I am. Until we see ourselves that way, we can't make any progress at all towards God. And Jesus can do us a little good. But there is good news, however, because you're not stuck in your old story. And if we will admit our true story, we can get a new story. One with God at the center. And becoming a disciple of Jesus is all about getting a new story. It means seeing how your life story can become part of God's story. You can find God's work in your past and His plan for your future. Following Jesus means reinterpreting your life as part of the never-ending story of Jesus. The story of Jesus' cross and resurrection can become your story. You can even reenact that through baptism. When a person is baptized into Christ, they reenact the most important part of the story of Jesus, his passion. Because when you're immersed into Christ, you're uniting with him in the likeness of his death. You're putting to death that old sinful person. Jesus was buried, you're buried in a grave of water. Jesus was raised from the dead, and as Romans 6 teaches, we are raised to walk in newness of life. Because you can receive a new story, you don't have to hide your true story. And so whatever your story, it can be completely reshaped by the gospel. I don't know your true story. You do. But whatever it is, it's no worse than the story of the people of Jerusalem that killed Jesus. And yet God gave them Opportunity after opportunity to set their story straight. But they refused. They could have faced the truth, been forgiven, and had their story turned from a tragedy into a happy ending. But instead, they said, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. The people that heard Stephen that day 
weren't willing to accept a new view of their story and receive a new story from God. What about you? Probably in this service I'm preaching to the choir <laughs> because the vast majority of you, if not all of you, have already accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Keep your story in line with God's story. Keep Him as the center part of the new story you received when you accepted Jesus. And then tell the story of Jesus to those who need a new story. Tell them they can repent, that God loves them. He gave His Son to die for them. That's how much God loves everyone. Jesus unleashed his church upon the world, and they had a true story to tell of Jesus. It can make a new story for everyone. If you have a decision you'd like to make for Christ today, you can meet me down front as we stand. And as we sing.